0: Hi guys, welcome to episode 31 of the Tutu's podcast. Many of you guys have asked us where to meet other people. Well, look no further. There's a brand new app for that. Passion Fruit is a dating app for lesbians, bisexual and queer women and non-binary people in the UK. Passion Fruit allows you to scroll through users as well as that. It allows you to filter your search by distance, age, eye colour and ethnicity so you can find the right person for you. Passion Fruit is the first app to include a virtual speed dating feature. All you do is click on the camera icon in the app and connect with more people in less time. This is the first app where swiping isn't your only option. The app is completely free and now available to download on iOS and Android features. The website is passionfruit.co.uk. That's Fruit, spelled F R U U T. Download the app now to find your passion, Fruit. <laughs> I am Nana. And I am Rose. And together we are...
1: Two Twos!
0: <laughs> and we got a special guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hello, my name's Kakan and I'm based in Birmingham. I'm an LGBT activist Oh, amazing!
0: This is <laughs> our first guest from Birmingham. No, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> our first Brum guest. How are you today?
1: I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm quite excited, actually. This is—I uh, was saying this is my third podcast, so um, yeah. it's, it's quite nice to figure it out, you know, who's who and what's happening out there in the world while whilst some of us are either social distancing or key workers. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, there's so much happening in the world this week, especially yeah, Crazy. A, lot, a Lot going on, a lot going on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Um. What is it you'd like to know? Um, I've, been, I'm, I've been with my partner for about 28 years, and apparently I'm in the South Asian gay community. Um, a lot of people see me as a role model,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, because of, I think maybe because my relationship has lasted so long. I'm very much out there. I've been out for 28 years. Um, I'm a Stonewall LGBT school role model, diversity role model. Um, and I also stage two, of the, um, two South Asian LGBT conferences here in Birmingham. One was a couple of years ago, the first of its kind. Um, and the other one was last, no, not last year, the year before. Um, it was a Muslim cent- and centering trans and non-binary individuals. Um, and then last year I was at the centre of the LGBT school protests, um, supporting wow. the schools and the teachers.
0: Mm, wow, that is a lot. You've been doing. You've been busy. I know. <laughs>
1: So I have I have I have that and then obviously I'm home and I see to my partner as well. So um you know, I have to keep him happy as well. <laughs>
0: that is cute. Twenty eight years is a long That is so Hi. long, oh my god. Especially for that like, quiz, it's a really long yeah. time.
1: Yeah, because they, they, they used to say back in the day, um, a gay relationship lasts three weeks. But, <laughs> uh, the first week was dating and courting, the second week was the marriage and third week is a divorce. Right.
0: Literally, that it's is, true.
1: People still say that. Say that. <laughs> we <used> to, we <laughs> say
0: that, yeah. yeah wow. no, so I
1: think for me, it was that the coming out was a, it's a big thing, really, mm. because um, I came out at the height of HIV and AIDS. Um, you know, came from quite a religious family in its own way. Yeah. Um, and I'm quite religious-minded really myself as well. So, um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of uh, baggage to carry.
0: Yeah. How How was that for you? Um, like 28 years ago, with everything that's going on around in the LGBT community, HIV, black. We, we, I was. I'm twenty-eight now, so um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, was, that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, it was. I think it was quite. Um, I think it, for a person of color, it's a huge, huge burden to carry because we have, um. You know we think about religion first whether you're coming from a strong christian background or muslim background or Sikh, or whatever religion so you have to carry those burdens as well and what the interpretations are of religion yeah. um and then at the same time you're looking at hiv and aids which was seen predominantly as a white gay man's disease um so you know even if you wanted to step out or you wanted to date anybody or have a relationship um, for me personally, it was like more about what would my family think, yes. what would the community think, how will I carry this, how do I announce it to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of barriers that I had to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I met my partner in amongst all that too. Um, mm-hmm. And he re- meeting him broke a lot of taboos because he's, um, he was years old. I was only 22 and he was 43. And he was my first proper serious relationship. Um, and he was white, he had a shaven head, tattoos, <laughs> you know. So, so in that respect, you know, not only were we, it was an age, cause, because for me at that time it was more about the age difference more than anything. Yeah. Um, and it was only years later when somebody highlighted that, you know, um, you, you're not only of different faiths, but you're different religions, different colour, different, you know. Loads of differences, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, it's. I think it's our differences that makes brings us together. And you know, that saying about opposites attract. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we, we had mutual attraction, and e- even from the day one, when I seen him, I just knew that um, there was something about him that I liked and it appealed to me.
0: Wow. Wow. So, what was that like coming for you, coming out for you at that time? You know, coming out to family and friends, Um it also coming to terms of it with your religion as well. Yeah.
1: Um, Well, first of all, my my coming out story is in London, because I'm from Birmingham. um, And then I was a student in London, a drama student. um, And there was a number of people out there at college. You know, there's only about 90 students at this uh, drama college. um, And most of them identified in some way or another. They were either lesbian or queer or um, bisexual, etc. And I couldn't fit in amongst all that, because as I said, for me, growing up, being gay was you know mindset was it's a, a white man's thing
2: yeah
1: um you know so so that was quite unusual in itself and I, I felt very not only in myself in terms of my ethnicity and background but very foreign in amongst that sort of the subculture of the college as well mm. so i had no one to relate to um and i in, in hindsight i think i experienced a lot of anxieties and depressions and lows more than anything mm. um you know so, so that didn't help at all and because i was very religious minded anyway yeah. Um. I it took me a lot, a lot of courage and confidence to muster just stepping into a bar more than anything.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. You know, the, the, my first foray, as it were, onto the gay scene was um, a bar called the Brief Encounter in Charing Cross. Okay. Which I've heard, which I've heard since. You know, it's obviously closed down now.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if it's still there.
1: <laughs> no, I've, I've heard it's closed down. <laughs>
0: and,
1: and you know, and traipsing around Soho and that that side of mm-hmm. London yeah. was quite strange in itself. Um, yeah. I don't know if you're aware, but you know. That side of London was, well, we'd call it quite seedy, you know. Mm. But um, but now, apparently, it's, it's all cafes and bars and very chic, apparently. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it
0: is bars and yeah. cafes, isn't it? It is yeah. bars and
1: cafes, yeah. I guess you could say that, yeah. So, so, so you know, that's quite unusual in itself. Um, uh, and then, you know, sort of meeting somebody in the bar, it was, like, quite exciting. But at the same time, there, there's a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of what-ifs. Mm-hmm. And why did I, a lot of, lots of confusions really, yeah. um, you know. Um, and I hit an all-time low trying to come to terms with myself more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always said that, you know, when people are part of the LGBT community, um, coming to terms with who you are in that respect um, has an impact on your mental health status more than anything. Definitely, and yeah. then once you learn to accept yourself, I think it, you find it easier to start telling other people.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: um and when we are talking about lgbt iq plus and uh, everything else in between mm-hmm. we we do forget about how coming to terms with our sexual orientation and gender identity impacts on our mental health okay. um so i'm an advocate for that as well now you know we need to talk a lot more about not just sexual health when we talk about lgbt about mental but mental health, health as well yeah yes. mm-hmm. um so for me coming out was uh in, initially, I just thought, well, I'm in London and it doesn't make any difference to anybody, yeah. you know. And for a while, I was telling a number of my peers that, oh, I've started go out on the scene. Um, <laughs> and I don't I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. It's, it's because, one, it was a, a brown face in a white space,
0: mm.
1: you know. Yeah, space
0: um, better than must have been... Uh, very
1: white. Very, you know, every time I went into a bar, it was like all eyes were on me. Mm, Sometimes yeah. it would be in a good way, but in other times it was... Um, that's so nice. I mean, I recall one evening I went down to the, the bar downstairs and the barman says, we don't do, you know, we don't serve black people here.
2: Wow. Um,
1: yeah, and another man, another random person happened to stand next to me and he just looked at me and says, I don't do packies.
0: Wow, wow that's crazy. I could, um, I, that seems like a lot. You, you've got homophobia from one end, you've got racism on the other end. You've got, you know, there's just so many dis- discrimination coming from different different. Angles, basically.:
1: Yeah, and it's a shame because I realized you know so many years later that there, there is still so much more that we have to be fighting for, racism and sexism, you know, learning about cultures and differences. And um, even though as an LGBT community, we say that we're united, there are still fragments and splinters, yeah. uh, And it's a shame no matter how much I try to advocate and educate and raise awareness. Um, there's other people as well who are obviously following me as well and of my age group too. Mm We're trying to do the same, and we're still facing constant battles Mm. that you know we cannot eradicate prejudices and discrimination. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me, I some people are saying it's a good change and that change takes time, but for me, the pace of change isn't happening fast enough. It must
0: be so so, slow,
1: I'm back 28 years ago, so. Nana's lifetime.
0: Yeah, my, my <laughs> lifetime, <laughs> my entire life. <laughs> yeah, because I mean,
1: even if, like I say, I've, I've speak to people younger than myself, you know, half my age and younger, and they say there's no changes, Kakan. You know, there's mm. in certain quarters of the community, there are changes, but in other quarters, and the majority of the time, there isn't any. And it's like you, you find that you're hitting your head against a brick wall sometimes, mm. you know. Have you found know. that um,
0: maybe for um, South Asian LGBT people, there's like more dedicated spaces for them? now than it
1: was then? Um, In terms of for the South Asian LGBT, I think there is in Birmingham, uh, sorry, in London, Mm. um, you have Iman, um, there's Nazamat Foundation and Hidayah LGBT. Mm. But in Birmingham, I set up um, Finding a Voice um, five, five, six years ago now.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And it's, you know, it's still very much in the minority and my group seems to be the only group available. Um, There is another group called Unmuted for People of Colour. Okay. I think I've heard of that one, yeah. Yeah, and that's been running for a few years. And in Manchester, there is Rainbow Noir. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, I think that's the difference as well between ethnic people, i.e. South Asian brown faces and the black LGBT community. Mm You know, And I think the black community are much more proactive, much more vocal, much more motivated in moving forward and trying to make changes. Yeah. You know, whereas the South Asian community, we, we do it, but it's more on an individual basis or we're trying hard to, to make changes in our own little ways, which yeah. to me, t- you take on a lot of responsibility and to try and create conferences, workshops and events. It's about commitment, effort. And most of the time I hear most people say it's what my family would think or my religion. Yeah, say. I
0: say, Maybe it's, it's down to like the home life and maybe even religion That's might it. be a bit yeah. of it as
1: well. That's it. That's it. You know, because I know there's a Sikh group um, called Surbat, which has been running for a number of years, um, and it, it's only in the now, in the last couple of years, that they're becoming much more vocal and visible, which is really nice. Yeah. But again, it's it's for me, it's about changes and about standing up and saying, "This is who I am. This is what I represent." You know, and you don't necessarily have to represent other people. It's to me, being authentic is just about being yourself, um, and I think that's why people look to me now as a role model because I don't really. In a good way slash a bad way. I don't really care. I think I'm. I'm yeah. not really care. I don't
0: care. It's the only way you can be like you. You. you, you can't care because if you do, you're gonna. You're gonna be stuck in the same place. You know what I mean. You're not gonna be able to be yourself and live in your truth if you care what other people think. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because when I when I came out, you know, I, I had a very very close relationship with my mom. Mm. And my mom, in terms of family, she was the first person that I told. And I just thought I had to tell my mom. Um, because of that strong relationship and I wanted to be honest and open with her about what I was doing with my life, who I was with. Um, And at the same time, there was a lot of um, angst as well, because I thought whatever the consequences, i.e. if she disowns me, the family throw me out, whatever, let them do that. Because at that time I was really fortunate, as I said, I had my partner and he was very supportive at that time uh, to say, whatever happens, I'll be here for you. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. And that's really nice. So at least that way, I was standing up on my own two feet and making myself known, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, but, but it was a battle. There was a lot of, um, somewhat homophobic attitudes as well. Mm-hmm. Some abuse. Um, I got banned from my own family. Well, when I say my family, I was banned from my niece's house. Uh, my nephew's wedding. Um, wow. my, my, my sister who I was, I have two sisters. I'm the youngest of seven. Mm-hmm. I have two sisters and four older brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and to, to kind of break those ties, it was quite heartbreaking, really.
0: Oh, it must be heartbreaking. I mean, we can understand as well because uh, when it comes to um, some family events and stuff like that, we just we just don't go because don't we just know we're going to be faced with a lot of judgment. Yeah, and it's, it's just not worth. Like just affecting our mental health, so we just we just stay away. But it, at the same time, it's sad because you you do want to be involved with family events and celebrations. It's sad because you have to make a choice. Essentially, you have to choose between your family and sort of your happiness, and that's, that's just true not fair. Yeah. It's actually not fair, especially if you were lucky. I think you were fortunate enough to have a partner there. But for somebody who doesn't have anyone else, who doesn't have a chosen family, and whose immediate family is their so only sort of support. Um, you know how how can they make that choice? You know, it's a hard
1: one. Yeah, I think first of all, first and foremost, it was it's about about being authentic and about what makes you happy more than anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, and I also faced, you know, in the in the early years of after I came out, I was I was going to still going to weddings and family dues, which is quite nice. Yeah. But at the same time, there's that level of insecurities and paranoia because I knew that the people are looking at me to think, who is he? You know, what, what's he doing here? And there's a lot of questions being asked. You know, and, and and then I kind of noticed that the way people were <laughs> unusually socially distancing from me at the time. <laughs> yeah, and, and then I decided that you know I don't want to be going to these special occasions as much as as much as I love them. I do want to be stepping into that that situation where I felt uncomfortable just for being myself.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, um, but you know, and I think you have to find inner strength to be able to cope with it. You know, and as 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 you say, I was really fortunate. I had my partner, mm-hmm. but even if my partner wasn't there, I think I just learned to to stand on my own two feet and say, "This is who I am. You either like it or lump it, so yeah. that mm-hmm. Um And again, it takes a lot of courage to do that. I understand that there's young people even now say it's okay for you, Kakan, you can do that, but not for us. But again, I feel that if the person is of a certain age, whereby they're shown independence. Uh, financially, they've got security, they've got their own space, their own place, then why not? Why not break the ties? Because sometimes you have to make those sacrifices to make changes, and changes which are beneficial, not just for you as an individual, but for society uh, at large as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful, isn't it? So one question that we want to know was about... um, the Muslim religion and being a member of the LGBT community and them just coinciding together. So, yeah. what does the religion have to say about same-sex relationships?
1: Well, on a sort of like superficial level, my parents, were, you know, they they drummed it into our heads that you know. Um, you know, you have, you have to study, you have to read the Quran, um, follow the five, try and observe the five pillars of Islam first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was a fa- uh, founder member of Birmingham Central Mosque anyway. Wow. So there was uh-huh. a lot of responsibility <laughs> on his head. Um, yeah. he, was a, he was definitely a pillar of the community. <laughs> um, so, you know, so for me to come out at that time, he was, um, he didn't know until a few months down the line. Um, as I said, I told my mom first, it was a very kind of traumatic experience explaining to her what my feelings were who i'm with and she did say whatever happens you know don't tell your dad
2: um
1: and then my siblings kind of found out individually Mm -hmm. um over a period of time but they also took me aside and said you know um they asked me lots of questions about my sexual preferences as they called it and you know (laughs) questions of marriages of conveniences um about fathering children lots of very intrusive yeah. questions, yeah, um, and then when my dad did find out, um, he was very, very angry, um, I think there's no other way to put it but to say he was very homophobic in his attitude towards me, yeah. um, you know because they started fl- flying out quotes from the Quran, alleged quotes saying that this is Haram, it should be happening, you know, Allah um, says that you should be with somebody of the same sex um but I found it in myself strangely enough. Because when i not going backtracking a little bit, when I was a student in London, I happened to have a copy of the Quran and the Bible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I was trying to come to terms with myself, trying to figure out who I am, I read both the Quran and the Bible, mm-hmm. cross-referencing, trying to make sense of it all. I'm trying to understand what does the Quran actually say about same-sex relationships, mm-hmm. um, and my interpretation or my perception of it is it is doesn't say anything yeah at all
0: yeah um, that as well i heard that it doesn't actually say anything about same-sex relationships.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah because what, what people do is they they reference a particular story called the story of lut or Lut. Mm-hmm. um i don't know if you've heard about that one i've heard about, I don't, i've heard the name i don't know what the yeah, is. but the basically it's about um just very briefly you now is it's basically two angels come down to earth they go to the prophet Lot's house they go in the guise of mortal men so when they go into the house the uh the, all the townsfolk boys and girls and older men and younger men they sort of go to the house they're attracted to these particular men okay. who are angels in the guise of men um and they very much uh, desire them okay you know and looks basically says to his townsfolk he's saying you know you are transcending people you you are doing c- crimes against the lord and mm-hmm. a lot of people would say that to say oh it's about same-sex attraction but what i interpret it as is that they are angels in the guise of men and what they are like chemistry i suppose that they're emitting or an aura it's mm-hmm. almost like they have an x-factor you just mean that it's like they're drawing at so much energy to the yeah. to the townsfolk people mm-hmm. are drawn to them and desire them and they want them for whatever shape or being that they come in does that make sense yeah okay what you mean you know so so I, and i find over the years that people take that literally or they learn this uh message either by roads or they look at it literally yeah and over periods of time they they interpret it to say it's against same-sex relationships. Um, so I've done my research over the last few years, you know, ever since I came out, trying to figure out what does it say. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't say anything about same-sex relationships. Um, and the reason why Islam currently in modern times is against Islam, from my research, is it's only 500 years. Um, and it's down to a caliph in the Middle East who was, for whatever or reason, he was against people who had same-sex relationships That mm. particular individual he had power and status and wealth and he was able to um rule other people with an iron fist he drummed it into their heads that you know this shouldn't be allowed in our community and 500 years later people are still using that as uh, so it was just a personal problem, really. Somebody had a personal problem, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because if you, at, if you look at the history of Islam, um, there is a lot of writings mm-hmm. sort of um, proclaiming in a, and celebrating same sex love and relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of art, poetry, um, history books, unfortunately, which have been destroyed. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stories out there which are have been forgotten or ignored or dismissed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for, for Islam it was all about love and expression of love as well, in all its shape and forms, as long as it was consenting adults as well. Yeah. You know, because the one thing that we all want, whether we are part of the LGBT plus community or the straight community, we all want to be loved and we all want, you know, to be embraced and hugged. Um, and, you know, human touch is very important to people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and if, if we're expressing that in whatever shape or form, then why not? Yeah. Definitely. You know, and, and if we are ch- children of Allah or God, and He wants us all to be brothers and sisters, that's what He would want. He or she would want us to be. Is that we embrace one another and we show love and devotion and friendships and sincerity and mm-hmm. honesty. Absolutely. You know, I feel like religion
0: as a whole is should we, is and it should be practiced as an act of love in a way, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, I feel like religion comes from whether we call Him God or Allah or whatever the case may be. Like, I mean, it was always always about an expression of love. And I feel like a, somewhere along the way, it just gets lost and everyone starts making all these rules and yeah. they start like, hating each other. But I just, I don't feel like any religion is actually meant to be about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of I think a lot of people. Again, like whether we're looking at the Bible or the Quran, anyway, a lot mm-hmm. of people who are anti-religion would tend to focus on the negatives of it, mm-hmm. and they'll say, look at the acts of violence in there, the aggression, the way they treat women, disabled, etc. But I always have to say, look at the, the context it's in, the time it was written, what was going going on in the world at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like currently now we're living all under, um, you know, globally we're living under yeah. COVID nineteen yeah. uh, restrictions and lockdown. And we're finding different ways to be either kind or patient or understanding, you know, but in America, you know, it's eased up a little bit, but at the same time we have police brutality and protests and everything. So the media can switch, can't they? They can switch from either being quite positive to say, let's be kind and generous and look at the NHS heroes, etc., mm-hmm. to suddenly say, look at the police brutality or look at this black person doing these mm-hmm. awful crimes. So again, it's about how people, Um, are perpetuating stories Mm -hmm. you know and what you're gaining and it's about taking information that's necessary for you and how you navigate your life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and likewise it's with the religion as well the books in particular we look to them as guidance more than as literal step-by-step guide to oh Mm -hmm. this is how it is Mm
0: -hmm. that's so key the fact that you said it's guidance (laughs) I mean sometimes people forget that
1: yeah, it's, as I said, it's like like today we're looking at guidance, and only you know recently we had. Uh, I'm digressing a bit now, but you know mm-hmm. Dominic Cummings has taken that guidance, and whether you are for him or against him, it's it's down to his interpretation, though, isn't it? Yeah, you know he's decided, he's decided that. Oh, go out anyway. So. Yeah, he, 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 he's decided that I didn't do anything wrong. I acted reasonably, etc. Yeah. And likewise with religion as well. You have to take upon what it what it is you yeah. know and if it's beneficial to you and everybody else then that's good but if it's just beneficial to you then that's being selfish
2: yeah yeah, yeah.
1: you know because the, the, the books are there for to, to learn to be educated mm-hmm. and you know it's, it's almost like pe- paying it forward more than anything
0: mm-hmm. definitely definitely so thanks for that so um Another thing we want to talk about was, obviously, was recently was Ramadan and last week, was last week was Eid, right? Last Sunday? Monday? Yeah, yeah. Last so did you celebrate? <laughs>
1: um, uh, well, one thing is I'm, I'm diabetic anyway, so I'm mm-hmm. diabetic type two, my partner's diabetic type one. Wow. Oh, um, hey. <laughs> and so for me, my plan of action is I, I, I can't observe Ramadan anyway mm-hmm. and because my diet management is I have to eat every couple of hours. Yeah, yeah, of course. But currently, because we, we, we have a new house and it has no kitchen, so, <laughs> so, you know, we're kind of fasting in our own way. We're struggling, you know, we have a good <laughs> in the morning
2: yeah,
1: uh, yeah. and slices of toast later on in the day, you know. So. Oh, bless you, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, looking at Ramadan as an LGBT Muslim, it's about, again, it's about looking at um, how we interact, how we navigate our lives, the, the dynamics of the family, how we um, look at the less fortunate around us. Mm-hmm. um and I'm in a position which in my own way I suppose I'm quite privileged because a I have a long-term relationship um yeah. b is you know people look to me as a, a pillar of the community now and How's c i about? um I think, <laughs> I think that's just for me being who I am for one thing and also I write articles about my experiences oh, um yeah. I don't I don't write articles like every month or every week. It's once in a blue moon. But apparently these articles are picked up by people from around the world. And um, they they think it's quite amazing that this individual can do these things. Because for me personally, it's just about me getting on with my life. But yeah. for other people, it's an inspirational story because I hold, I think they look to me as because I've got some strength. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but Ramadan in particular, you know, I've written an article a few years back about how it impacted on me not being able to see my family um mm. how, how you know for people who are less fortunate than myself i.e gay muslims on that out yeah
2: how,
1: how they can navigate that too
2: yeah
1: you know and as it happens in the last uh, three four years ramadan has occurred during pride month here in birmingham mm-hmm.
0: mm, oh yeah because birmingham pride would have been was it two weeks ago
1: it would have been at the same time, the same weekend. Yeah. Right, last year.
0: yeah. How was, Ber- you was Birmingham Pride like anyway? I've been once, but, you know,
1: I don't uh, well, last, last year is amazing. It last year, absolutely amazing, because, as I said, I was at the sort of forefront of these um, LGBT protests. Mm-hmm. Um, so Andrew Moffat, who was the deputy head who introduced the No Outsiders programme, he contacted me and said, um, you know, would you mind leading the, the parade with me? Mm-hmm. And I jumped at the opportunity because I'd gone from being sort of at the back of the queue yeah. to suddenly at the forefront. Yeah. Um, and that to me was amazing because it was the first time as well that we had a very strong representation of LGBT Muslims mm-hmm. in the parade. Um, you know, and it showed some diversity within within the parade. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, it's changed a little bit in the last couple of years. But over the years, it's still been very much um, a white mm-hmm. event you yeah. know uh, they 're learning to diversify in the last couple of years mm-hmm. um hopefully they 'll diversify even more but yeah. in terms of uh, muslim lgbt i 'd like to see more happening um how are they going to coordinate that i'm not too sure, but yeah. you know there's there's only so many some more course that you can create and cater i think I was, I was talking to other Muslims that are out there as well you know LGbt and I think if we look at the contributions that we've made to LGBT scene here in the UK as well, if not in India and Pakistan as well. I think it would be nice if we had like a stall, um, some speakers, looking at our contributions to the to the community as well rather than just going there and dancing around and you know enjoying ourselves. (laughs) I, I think that would be quite nice. Yeah, now, And I also believe that we need a platform too, you know, whether it's on the main stage or the secondary stage, mm. we definitely need a platform. Um, that's why I admire UK Black Pride. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've accessed UK Black Pride. Oh yeah, we're there. Yeah. I was yeah. about to say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. so yeah, but, that know, I, I, it was my my first time I went, was only last year as it happened. Oh, okay. um, and it was an amazing experience because, um, it was very relaxed, very chilled, very different to um, the mainstream parade, yeah. because mainstream parades pride is um, very much focused on booze and getting drunk and dancing around. Yeah. Whereas UK Black Pride is very much substantiated with stories, speakers. You know, yeah. we're looking at who we are, what we're representing, how we're going to make changes for the future. Yeah. Um, and I really, really admire that. And I think it's quite an ideal template for people of colour to either follow suit or vary, you know, because um, what Lady Phil has done there is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. She's an incredible yeah. woman as well to achieve what she did in the short frame that she she, she did this. Yeah.
0: Um, the growth of,
1: for, of Black
0: Pride experience example. has been crazy. crazy. I mean, the year before... And last year, the, like, the time in between, the growth was like, it was like three times the size. Yeah, and that's why they had to move location because it just grew so big, you know, with people coming from different parts of the UK, just, you know, coming down just for UK Black Pride, you know?
1: Yeah, but it, it was, as I said, it was, an amazing, I mean, the, the, the weather at the time was absolutely glorious too, yeah. you know, it yeah. so well. <laughs> you know, it's in, in a park, but it's the fact that, you know, on the one side, it is beautiful what she's created, and her, her cove, founders. Yeah. Um but I understand as well she's explained to me why she created it and it's the fact that pride per se um is not acknowledging diversity for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And you know the, I understand it's a free event, admission is free at most pride events and people are welcome to go. But at the same time it's about how you feel comfortable within that space.
2: Absolutely. You know,
1: I went many, many years ago in the early days, you know, twenty to two 20, about 20 years ago um, and I was very much in the minority and here I am now years later and we are still very much in the minority. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's yeah. what we you know? don't really go to, we don't really go to the uh, mainstream Pride. We stopped going probably like three years ago because, you know, we just, I don't know, we just don't, we don't see us, a lot of us, uh, you know, people that look like us. Um, so we, we we found UK Black Pride.
1: Mm-hmm. But, this, this is, but this is why Lady Phil is um, saying that, you know, it needs to diversify. Here we are in the 21st century,
2: yeah.
1: um, you know, and we recognise that we are living in a multicultural society, yeah. but the events that are around us are not representative no. of who we are, what we can contribute and what we do.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and I think that's why Pride, like Birmingham, London um, and all the other ones, they need to shake up a little bit, be more mindful. Yeah. of what's going on and especially like you know we, we know that the protests in america some of them are transferring here to the uk yeah but really on the one side we shouldn't have a protest but at the same time we are and it, they're due as well aren't they so yeah,
2: yeah.
1: you know that you know pride um when it started stonewall riots in 1969 mm. uh it started off with people of color and they had had enough and now again it's saying we we have enough but every year i hear the same stories that we have enough and i'm thinking what can we do to make it much better
0: mm. yeah there is always something um to to like improve and take it one step further always it would be nice if the mainstream pride could in- include a bit more
1: i think start there
0: it can be a bit more inclusive yeah
1: yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've even said, you know, in, in adverts and promos and things, you know, don't just choose, you know, the token person of colour. You yeah. have to show people who are representative, because, because there's people like me, who there's people of faith and religion as well.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, I know a number of people who are LGBT and they go to church, they go to the gurdwara, they go to the temple or the mosque. Mm-hmm. But they don't feel comfortable within that space to say that they are gay with a faith as well yeah um and it's really fortunate though that i was on a multi-faith uh advisory panel um to the church um and we were looking at conversion therapy mm. um you know and we're, we're looking at ways to sort of um eliminate it or make it illegal
2: yes
1: um, whereas some individuals or organizations like the nhs counselors psychiatrists are saying but conversion therapy can be deemed as a personal choice really
2: yeah, yeah the individual mind.
1: who's undertaking conversion therapy yeah. they put themselves through that anyway because they want to make a change whereas we're saying no that change is happening because they are, it's either imposed upon them yeah or families or other people and they just think let me try it
0: yeah, hmm. you know? yeah um in conversion therapy I always thought that it was it was always known it was forced I didn't know that the <laughs> NHs were trying to say it's a choice because everyone that's gone through it they've always come out with some sort of traumatic feeling or yeah. like there's, there's never anything good that comes out of it i haven't seen anything good come out of it anyway
1: yeah but when i say nhs i think it's what it is because you know ultimately like you have counselors psychiatrists psychotherapy uh clinicians who would come under the ban of nhs wouldn't they really mm,
2: yeah so, yeah. you
1: know in, in effect they are sort of the, the, those individuals are sort of representative of the nhs so in in if in effect, they're supporting it, aren't they? it the Yeah, because in if they, the NHS and those, they could say, actually, we, we're not agreeing with this anymore. Mm.
0: Yeah, they could, yeah.
1: You know, so we need to be accessing and allowing those individuals to, to make their voices be known as well, their stories, mm-hmm. you know, and especially those who are undertaking conversion therapy who are of faith in particular, you know, because the number of individuals that I talk to and learn from is they're saying you know my parents want me to marry but you know i'm a lesbian or i'm gay um they, wow. they want to put me through rituals or you know some kind of therapy
0: yeah
1: make them normal yeah um, we, we we need to hear more of those stories you see to make changes yeah
0: absolutely. Yeah. I don't, we don't hear that we don't hear those stories enough i think i myself i've only heard one story you know, about someone going through conversion therapy and that's it. And I, I can imagine there's so many people that get pressured. And I think, you know, for like the NHS, they're probably going to say, you know, yeah. this is a choice because someone's been, someone's been harassed by their family or by people from, you know, their church or mosque to undergo this and they want to believe it and they want to quote, like quote unquote, come mm-hmm. out of it. And, you know, they want that's to be the- straight. So, you know, it's, it's probably hard for the NHS to say, you know, how, how do we determine that it's it, it's not a choice for this person? It's not their choice, you know?
1: That's it. And I, I think, again, it's that that's just what they would call the grey area about mm. human rights as well.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, because where did you draw the line about respecting your family mm. and not wanting to break the ties with the family to doing your own thing? Yeah. And that's why they say, you know, people coming through who do step away from the family they might call them their, that they're rebels or they're brave souls or, you know, th- there's always a label or a tag that you, you place upon them. Yeah. Um, but I ultimately say it's about what makes you as an individual, what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Right? Have you, you know, heard
0: any stories where uh, people have come out to, they're like really religious families and it hasn't been that bad. Like maybe they've had to go through the process of, the family comes in terms of things, but they've managed to find a middle ground and
1: exist together. Yeah. I mean, a few years back, um, there was a young man who contacted me via telephone um, and he was out to half the family, but not all the family. Yeah. And then he got upset because he was outed at college. So he stopped going to college. Um, you know, he had a lot of potential, but I had to explain to him that some of the narrative that he was sharing with me, I could relate to it so you know and i had to say that you know some things in the family you, you have to learn that you know people will react they'll be quite angry etc but the bottom line was if they still love you and support you then that's what matters you know we all have to come to terms with who we are whether it's me myself as a gay person or my mother or my father or my siblings yeah you know? and so he had to learn to navigate that and um i'd never heard from him again for uh, several months and then when i contacted his. Um, like social work, I suppose, he said he's doing really well for himself. He learned to um, adapt and navigate oh. his life, you know, and uh, he came out slowly but surely to the rest of the family.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: you know, and because he realised that he got love and support from his parents in particular, yeah, that was a good story for him. And he went back to college, so he was following oh. his dreams. Oh, that's good. You know? Yeah. Um, but then I hear from other individuals as well, like another individual who um he'd been out, he's got his partner, um, but even now, even though his parents know about his partner, they will—they will not accept the fact that he's got a same-sex relationship.
0: Oh, say so they just ignore that part of him and just—that's like yeah, yeah.
1: Because it I, is, I, find, I find some pe- some people who are already in um, relationships, um, they tend to be like the white elephant in the room.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: No pun, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> the whiteness speaks loudly. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I think I think and, and and that's like like my relationship as well. In the early years, it was like my pa- parents and family kind of accepted me in some respects, but we didn't really talk about my partner or what I'd been up to over <laughs> the weekend or something. And yeah. it took a long time and a lot of um, guts, I suppose, especially for parents to acknowledge that. You know, for my mom and my dad to start asking questions about my partner, mm-hmm. it was a big thing. It's major.
0: Yeah, I mean, feel like
1: actually... cool when they start asking? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's quite embarrassing, first of all, because you, you just think, hang on <laughs> a minute, where is this coming from? Yeah. But it's quite nice as well because, you know, they'll say, you know, what have you been up to, how is he, yeah. well, what's he up to today, etc." cetera, and, and that's quite nice, mm-hmm. you know. And then the next step from that is, you know, meeting him and then seeing what the rapport and the chem- chemistry is between parents and your loved one.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, but, but for some people it's, it's you know, um, some people are able to navigate it really well, Um, And as I keep saying, if you are financially independent, stable, and you're happy in doing what you're doing, then that's great. But if you are at home and you're struggling, there are support systems in place that can help you through this. You know, whether it's an organisation or an individual person who can support you, like a college tutor or psychiatrist or counsellor, that's that's good as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I think it's really good. It's nice now that there are some support services out there um, that individuals can contact. But again, it's up to the individual, isn't it, as, as to whether or not they want that support. Yeah. You know, There's been some individuals where, whereby I've signposted them to um, UK-wide organisations or local level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll either come back and say, we've tried them, we've had no response, mm-hmm. or we've tried them and they don't seem to understand the cultural family dynamics or the, the religious aspect of who I am yeah so again that's that is quite disconcerting for me Um, especially when they talk about the the cultural and the religious aspects because I'm thinking well you know we've been around for a number of years now and surely through our education systems and the amount of stuff that's out there people will be much more wiser to it all Mm
0: -hmm. but But, yeah I guess that's why we need people we need like black people need Asian people in those positions because I feel like you know we can say that it's this how many years have we been in this country and it's true we black and Asian people have been in this country for ages you know but it's just like I don't understand why there is a gap there in terms of like knowledge and you know learning about different cultures and stuff we all learn about different cultures in school so where where, what what what's happening what's what's going wrong here do you know what I mean I
1: think that's a million dollar question isn't it really because you know (laughs) I mean, from, from my upbringing, you know, I brought up in the 70s and 80s, and then we used to talk about the Windrush era. Yeah. We talked about the 60s, the 50s. And then, you know, as you grow older, you think, hang on a minute, we've not just been here like 60, 70 years. We've mm-hmm. been here, you know, a couple of hundred years and beyond, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: you know. And, and there's that refusal of, of, of our histories, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the dynamics of, you know, the British Raj and colonialism, um, you know, and the cultural dynamics as well. Yeah. And then it's about how media portrays individuals or people of colour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's also about how we push through it. And, you know, are we going to be a success story and positive or are we going to be negative and perpetuate the stereotypes and the myths surrounding people of colour? And I think when someone like me comes along with yourselves, and, you know, we, we tend to be quite vocal, quite, we have opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not deemed to be like, oh, look at your your great people. Um, from my experience, it's a case of, oh look Khan, he might be gay, but my God, he's so opinionated, <laughs> and you know, he's, he's challenging, or you know, he's a rebel or a troublemaker. Yeah. So already, even though I'd like to think of myself as positive, in some circles, and I'm not being funny, but in the mainstream white circles, they see me as very challenging.
0: Yes, yeah. mm. you
1: know, and I'm keep saying no, I'm not challenging. It's you know, if my parents have brought me up to speak my mind, be free you know, mm-hmm. have an opinion, mm-hmm. then that's surely that's a good thing. But no, we have to carry, forever carry the burden of, you must have that British stiff upper lip and not say certain things. Yeah. Or not do certain things.
0: Oh, mm. no, I'm not going to, I would not accept, I'm not accepting things the way they are at all. Like, I'm, we're always going to challenge things. Do you know what I mean? We're always going to speak our minds. So why not?
1: yeah and, and as i said if, if your parents say look we've been oppressed ourselves you know like my parents came here in the early 60s mm-hmm. and they, they had some voices but again they were sort of they weren't heard whereas we push through and we say yeah. we want to be heard we want our voices listened to yeah and then we're still you know 30 40 years later we're still saying you look at me as a troublemaker mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know it's, I, it's, I'm, I'm
1: a rebel um, and then you throw in the mix of religion as well. It's like you have to be savvy enough to understand what does religion say and what, does it, what doesn't it say.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think it's also about learning to understand the subtexts of conversation as well and the nuances, what's being said and what's not being said, listening to the whole body language.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think religion sometimes, um, even if it doesn't say something, Because it's, like you said, it should be for guidance and people take it as a literal word. I think, um, if I don't say something, because it's not there, means it's not allowed. I think sometimes people just think that.
1: Yeah, well, the thing is, um, for me, again, reading it over the years, and I've always, always been religious minded anyway, Mm. you know, um, and, and somebody says, oh, she follows, there's this woman that I used to work with a few years back, she used to follow the faith, is what she said. She observed the five pillars of Islam. But we used to have, I wouldn't say they were heated discussions, Mm. but we'd have a difference of opinion as to what the the text was saying. Mm. And she would take it down one route. Um, And to me, I'd say, well, that's quite negative because you're pushing sort of like the negative narrative. And then she said, well, give me your perspective. And then when I'd say, Put it like this. Think about it like this. Think about if you were in that situation, what would you do? Yeah. Because the bottom line is, we all have choices to make when it comes to certain situations or scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like the best thing is, what do you do in you know if there's a fight? Do you walk into it or do you? Is it like the case of what, what's the saying, flight or fight syndrome? Mm,
0: yeah. What's the saying, no. flight or flight? Oh. Yeah,
1: it's about it's about you know how how does it benefit you? Mm-hmm. You know if you step into, for example, you know, and looking at the the Quran, if for example it says fight, and then I says okay, if you step into the fight, what what happens? What are the consequences of the fights? Mm-hmm. You know, you could get stabbed or murdered or whatever, or you could come out and you could be the winner. Yeah. You know, but again, if you step away from the the fight, what happens? What are the implications and consequences of not fighting? Mm-hmm. you know and then yeah, yeah. you have to look at you know what what sort of moral values you carry with that
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah definitely you know so so for, for her it was kind of like uh, she was like oh my god you, you you know so much about the quran i was like yeah because you have to put every single thing in life into context and mm-hmm. you need to be able to reflect as to what's going on, read the situation. It's almost like carrying out a dynamic assessment, isn't it, really?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Do you, you think know. you um, read the Quran so much because you um, were, it comes in terms of who you were, and you just wanted to be sure that you could coexist with your religion and who you were? Or was it just yeah. more
1: like interest? No, no, I think it's it's always from a young. Age Anyway, I knew I was different anyway. Mm-hmm. you know it was, you know it was like how do I define that difference? you know I, I kind of used to have little things that people I suppose people could suspect in their own ways that I could be gay, but I couldn't acknowledge it myself. yeah until I was a student in London <laughs> and even when I was 15, 16, um, I developed crushes, mm. but I had to live in denial because one it was at the height of um, section 28. Mm. you know section 28 was where they come from homosexuality in Mm. schools you couldn't talk about it um you know so if i developed crushes on a teacher for example i couldn't talk to anyone about it you know and also there wasn't any role models there wasn't anybody like me that i can relate to there was nobody on the in the media or within the school settings um that i could relate to or speak to because there was always always that feeling of shame and guilt yeah you know and even when i went home and you know I had my dreams and fantasies. Mm-hmm. I couldn't share that with anybody. And whilst my male friends were talking about, oh, there's a girl that he, he fancied or a girl that he wants to do such and such with her or whatever, mm-hmm. I couldn't share that and I couldn't relate to that burden.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know? yeah. So, 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 yeah. So, so when I was looking at religions and I looked at Islam, Christianity, Judaism, and I was fascinated and I always, always looked at the similarities as well as the differences. hmm so, when I was a student and um, looking at myself, and, and I just thought, let me read, yeah. what does it say about homosexuality? Um, you know, uh, and time and time again, even now, I just think that all the religious scriptures look at a lot of issues, a lot of themes, a lot of sort of um, parables and stories. Yeah. And then why is it that we focus on same sex relationships?
0: Always. It's always the topic
1: of yeah. conversation. Yeah. You know, for, for example, you know, if it's if it's three thousand pages and so many verses and mm-hmm. quotes, <laughs> what amazing. And then I am sitting there and I realise and I think, you know what it is? That the world is dominated by cisgendered white males. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Absolutely. They they have power, they're in status, mm-hmm. and they can choose to either obliterate same sex gender mm-hmm. and same sex love or they can choose to promote it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it happens, that those with power and status, they can corrupt as well, as much as they want to. Mm-hmm. You know, and as you're well aware, you know, with colonialism as well, Christianity taking over the Africa continent and other parts of the world as well, mm-hmm. forever sort of breeding this information that you know, what you're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to carry that burden, aren't you, forever? Yeah. You know, generation after generation. And it takes a strong person to break that narrative. Mm -hmm. Even though homosexuality is in our history That's it
0: somehow, Somehow it's got lost somewhere And we've just been told it's wrong Yeah and Africans don't want to hear it They just don't It's like you tell them this And it's just a blank you know, oh okay, where is the evidence? You can go online and find so many articles, you can find so much online, but you you can tell an African person this and it's just like they don't want to hear it, like this is where the conversation stops. This is not true. This is not our history and they just like like they go dead inside.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but the other side is there are somewhat more open minded uh, Africans as well who would say Listen, it's not Africans who think that, it's the government mm. who have put that policy into place and it stayed there. For example, now we had, um, you know, in India, Section 377, mm-hmm. which was carried down through the centuries by British Raj and colonialism. Mm-hmm. And it's only got, um, it was only abolished in the last few years. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, and as you I keep saying... That's marriage in India now. Yeah, Sorry? Yeah. There is same-sex marriage in India now, isn't there? There is, yeah, there is, you know it's a shame it's not happening in pakistan as yet or in the muslim countries yeah but um you know it does take an, a strong force or an individual or organization to change that yeah you know um it's a shame it took so many hundreds of years for them to abolish section 377 but as i keep saying men made the law yeah but men can also break the law too and change it <laughs> yeah yeah you know it, it, there's nothing there to say you can't change it but they choose to implement it because it keeps them safe and makes mm-hmm. them feel that they're you know they have the power and I think that's what, something that we keep forgetting time and time again it's about who has the power
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: definitely you know. me.
0: with that being said thank you very much but well, just before we finish because we're just going over the time a little bit now how what, what kind of advice would you give for younger Muslims who feel like they can't come out or maybe some who have come out but they haven't quite had a hard time
1: I think for me, it's about looking at, read the Quran first and foremost. Mm. Don't listen to what people are saying around you because I'm, I read a lot about, you know, young people trying to come to terms and they, in particular, they talk about what their family says. Yeah. Or, you know, my, my mom says it's haram or my dad says or whatever. And I keep saying, take on board what they're saying, but you have to research the Quran yourself and trying to make sense of the verses there, because that's what people quote time and time again. Mm-hmm. Likewise, with the protests outside the schools last year here in um, Birmingham, a lot of people were quoting the Quran. But at the same time, I was asking them, you know, have you read the whole Quran and do you understand it? Mm-hmm. And so when I was giving talks in schools and colleges, a number of people hadn't read the Quran. Wow. They only knew it. They only knew it because their parents had told them.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and if you look at it historically, and again, not to be judgmental, but countries like India and Pakistan are predominantly rural countries,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and there's a lot of poverty. So the question would be, where are they learning this information? Yeah. If there's no schools and there's no education,
0: it's word of mouth, isn't it?
1: Exactly. Okay, exactly. I know
0: I know so that was going to be the last thing, but what was that like? Like the protest in Birmingham with the announcement of LGBT lessons in schools. That I mean, we saw on the news. Yeah, we so much protest, and but obviously, and a lot of it was from um, Muslim uh, people in the Muslim community who didn't want their children to just be involved in those lessons. Like, what was it like for you in Birmingham, and what your involvement as well? Like, what did you, how did you contribute?
1: Um, initially, what it was is I'd seen um, one of the young mums in a certain part of the of the Birmingham city. She came on TV and complained to say that she didn't want her child to be taught gay. Um, mm-hmm. And because I tend to be on social media quite a bit and I, on Twitter, mm-hmm. I was responding to that. Um, because I always thought, you know, this woman, she's made a complaint. It will be dealt with within a week. The school governors will say something about the school teachers and it will be done and dusted, resolved. They would. Mm-hmm. I think they should have just said to her, you know, what you're saying is quite homophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, um, instead of it sort of going away and being resolved amicably, um, I tweeted about it, the BBC picked up on that, um, and they invited me in to give an opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, they pitted me against somebody who appeared to be quite um, orthodox Muslim.
2: Mm. Ah, right. and she, okay.
1: was saying, she was saying that, you know, in the Muslim, in the Quran, Islam is against the same sex relationship and being gay. Whereas I was saying, no, it isn't. And you need to consider how this impacts on those who are questioning or coming through mm-hmm. or, or, and part of the LGBT community. Yeah. Um, and then it sort of snowballed more than anything over a matter of weeks, if not months. Um, yeah, it was an ongoing thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it went on for about 10 months. Wow. Oh. You know, and, and one of the main lead pro- well, two of the main lead protesters, I've actually had conversations with them. One of them, um, can I name him? Have I made
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's who we like.
1: <laughs> so Sh- Shaquille, he actually admitted during one documentary that we were making that he's not religious minded and he couldn't care less what was happening in the school, to be honest. Mm. It was only until his, te- his uh, sister came along and said, look, I need some support from you. You know, what kind of brother are you? You're not offering me your support. Mm. Um, so he stepped in and the sister I managed to speak to as well. Um, and she said, look, I accept gay people. She said, my dad's generation, she said, is similar to yours. It's like, you never talked about it. I said, that's true. Yeah. Um, she said, so I'm not like that. I accept gay people. I said, yeah, but you're denying.
2: Yeah, how does that work?
1: Awareness. I said, so how does that work? I said, I said, in fact, you're being worse than your dad. I mm-hmm. said, because then we didn't have the educational books and the tools mm-hmm. back then. Yeah. But now we do, and you're in denial. Yeah. yeah. So... um yeah, her so words she, and her actions are definitely contradicting itself a yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then um, the other main needs protester, he kept telling me that I've got it wrong, that I'm too much in favour of the white folk um, wow. you know, and in support of the teachers. But if you look at it, it's not really, it looks as if it's pitted of Muslims versus LGBT. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it's only certain pockets of the community which are against the LGBT inclusive books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know um and those particular areas are very much dominated uh, sorry pre- predominantly muslim majority in yeah. those particular areas of the city but oh. overall i have muslim friends who are very much in support of me of people who are lgbt yeah um, and they just want us to get on with, get on with life really
0: yeah i mean lessons don't they're not going to teach anyone to be anything we're just making children aware that these there are same sex relationships and i think it's more about um allowing letting, making children to respect making them aware so they can respect that's and that's I all i think, think it is. Like, people don't think people just feel like it means the children are going to be gay yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: but, you know if you, if you look at if you i mean i happen to go to both schools that were involved in these protests um and i looked at the no outsiders program and it's absolutely amazing because in it it, it didn't necessarily just cover lgbt but it looked at um Single single families, it looked at disability, it looked at a black family, Mm -hmm. you know, and it all looked at all different types of family units. Mm -hmm. And it was looking at diversity and celebrating that. Whereas these particular mums and dads, they chose to look at the LGBT aspect. And my argument at the time was to say, you're only saying that because you are brought up in Islam and you believe that homosexuality is a sin or haram. Yeah. Then you're not going to shake that narrative because you don't want to look embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mm. true. Whereas they look to me as I'm a reformist and, you know, I'm too modern and I'm not really Muslim um, because I'm gay. So, you know, Um, sometimes it makes me angry. Mm. Sometimes I feel like laughing (laughs) because I've heard it so many times over the years.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, and then it's a question of who's the better Muslim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's all like different levels and different sort of. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's quite heart, disheartening at the best of times. I, I can imagine. But I, I just... want people to just get on with it, really.
0: Mm-hmm. No, we understand this is the reason why we wanted you to come on because it, obviously we're within the LGBT community but also like within the black community we don't like we don't have a lot of um, like Asian Muslim friends as well so you know for us it was sort of like from what we've seen from the outside looking in it was like how can you be Muslim and be gay and the same with like how can you be Christian and and for that was a question for me and myself personally how can you be Christian and be gay so we really really thankful that you've you've come on the podcast um and you shared your experience um because i feel like we have an audience we have we do have um an asian and muslim audience that really need to hear you know what you have to say i think like it's really important i I think what you've said today really validates their identity validates them and who they are Um, and i think it will allow you know a lot of people to continue to live their truth and be honest and open with who they are
1: so, exactly, exactly. You know, it's it's like you hear so many people say that they're Christian, for example, and then you ask if they've read the Bible or do they go to church or observe any of the practices of Christianity and they say no. But <laughs> in their minds eye, they are still Christian.
2: Mm.
1: You know, and then again you hear about people who are LGBT and they their whole life is um, surrounded by, you know, they must go on the scene, they must do the gay clubs and the bars and the dancing yeah. and everything. <laughs> and, they, and if you don't do any of that, you're not a true LGBT person. Mm. But, you know, uh. if, if on the one side we are saying that the world is populated by, what is it now, 7 billion people, mm. you know, we have 7 billion identities and every one of us should be respected first and foremost and every one of us has a unique identity we've all got a unique DNA that makes up who we are Mm -hmm. you know and it comes back back down to respect one another and love one another and just let us kind of get on with one another regardless of our faith ethnicity sexuality etc you know my my social media hashtag quite often is hashtag we are all human yeah
0: yep that's the fundamental it's so thing. simple but i just don't think people really understand <laughs> it's So simple. Yeah. hopefully we get there sooner rather than later Exactly. <laughs> exactly. yeah thank you thank you so much for joining us today um, i think that's a good note to end on i think we should all lead with love um that's a great note to end on but yeah, thank, you. Awesome. Thank, thank you thank you very much for having me no worries. Thanks, everyone that's listening. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any of our Spotify streaming services there are. And also use the hashtag Tutu's Podcast in conversation on Twitter. And Kakan, what's your Twitter at? So people can follow you. At Kakan Karashi. We're going to add it We're going to, add it to the description okay. anyways. <laughs>
2: that's,
0: yes. that's and also, what, what podcast were you want? So they can go on and listen... To them
1: as well. Um, one is called Babel, but I don't think that's quite quite out yet. I think it'll be out in a couple of weeks.
0: Okay, okay. Well, they can look out for it anyway. Come yeah. this is going to be out on
1: Wednesday, but so, like, they can look out for it
0: for them later. Oh, uh, thank you much articles?
1: indeed. Thank what about,
0: you. What about your articles? I'd say anywhere you know you can read. You? Um,
1: I think what you just need to do because somebody said all you have to do is go on Google and China? type Kakan Qureshi, Gay, oh. and it comes up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Easy <laughs> enough. Yeah. That is funny <laughs> yeah because something a few, a few years ago she said you know Kukan, I wanted to Google you I said what for she said just to see who you are what you do yeah. and I said what happened she said I just typed in your name and the first thing that came was gay yeah. and she said you yeah. through the whole Google list and she said everything was related to LGBT
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I mean it's kind of good I mean That's it means cool. you're doing something good for the community right
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and yeah. It's, it's nice to know that it's not, not just on a local level it's happening outside you know yeah. and I think yeah. we all learn to do a little bit it helps you know podcasts workshops whatever yeah. you know it raises awareness and understanding and so thank you very much for allowing me to be part of this
0: thanks for coming thank you so much thank you appreciate it
1: thank you thank you Bye. much indeed Bye. take care then.
0: Peace. Bye.